Good morning, everybody doing okay? You guys good? Good? Wait till the image comes up. If you know who Mitch is who works here, I think the more I look at this guy on the Book of James slide, the more I think it just kind of looks like Mitch. Mitch always wears those white tennis shoes, and I'm sure he's had a red tank top at one point in his life. But anyways, anyways, all right, that's it. So last night at the five, I was, you know, I just kind of come up here and I like to just talk for a minute because I like you guys. And I kept like fumbling over my words and messing up. And I said it was really ironic because today we're talking about the tongue. And I just couldn't seem to speak very well last night. Hopefully I've cleaned it up. I'm stuttering right now. <laughs> cleaned it up a little bit. I didn't swear or anything. That's good, you know, but uh, hopefully I have cleaned it up a little bit for this morning. So glad you guys are here. So we're working through the book of James. We've been working through this line by line, chapter by chapter. And that's what we do here. If you're new, uh, we'll take a book of the Bible. We'll work through it literally word for word until we get all the way through it as much time as we need to take. This is a shorter book of the Bible, um, not very, very long. It's a letter written by the literal brother of Jesus Christ, younger brother of Jesus Christ, um, who was head of the church in Jerusalem. This was written in about the mid-50s, 55, 56 AD, written to churches that were spread out and Christians who were spread out all among the known world at the time who were being persecuted. So they had left their homeland of Israel and been kind of dispersed all over uh, the Roman Empire. And they were being persecuted for their beliefs. A very, very practical book. Very straightforward, very practical. It's not hard to understand. The book of James, though, I find it really interesting, and today is gonna be a really, really good example of this, is, is today's lesson is exceptionally, exceptionally easy to understand. I mean, any elementary age child could hear this lesson today and it is not hard to understand. But though it is un, uh, easily understandable, it is extremely hard to put into practice. That's what we're gonna do. Easy to understand, not always easy to live out. Last week, what we talked about in chapter two was faith and works. That faith alone is not enough. It's not complete, the Bible says. We must have evidence of our faith. So in, in very layman's terms, if I claim to be a Christian, but there is no evidence of me following Christ, I'm not a Christian. I'm not following Christ. There has to be visible evidence of that. And in two ways, there has to be visible evidence. There has to be personal holiness, which is just a fancy way of saying we need to pray, we need to read the Word of God, we need to do what the Word of God, what the Word of God says in our own life, personal holiness. <clears throat> and we also have to be doing practical works of service, practical acts of service. Jesus said to feed the, feed the poor, clothe the naked, visit the prisoner, be kind to people, be nice to people. And so we are to do it in those two ways. That's how we show the evidence of our faith. Today, like I said, we're gonna talk about something exceptionally easy uh, to understand, but not easy to implement, and that's that we are to have a tame tongue, that our tongue is supposed to be tamed. Now, here's what I'm gonna try to do this morning, and I, I hope I do a good job at it, I'm gonna to try to string along a couple of thoughts at the end, and here's what we're gonna talk about. I'm gonna tell it to you, and then we'll go back and we'll revisit it. That first, you and I need to find peace at who God is. We need to be at peace with who God is. We need to feel confident that he is in control, that he is good, that he loves us. We need to be at peace with that. When we're at peace with who God is, we can then be at peace with who we are in God, okay? And then when we're at peace with who we are, we can be at peace with others. <laughs> That's what we're gonna talk about. It's not too complicated, again, but easier said than done. 
Also, uh, all my pictures today are black and white. It's a little film noir this morning. It's a little avant-garde. This is kind of a creepy picture of a woman's mouth. I'm sorry. It's the best I could find um, when I'm trying to find something for words. So uh, here it is, okay? Okay, you should have got a note stand out when you walked in. Everything I'm gonna say is in there. Everything will be on the screens. If you have the Experience Community app, uh, everything is on there. Just click on Sermon Notes. And then if you have a Bible, we're towards the back in the New Testament, the book of James. We'll do all of chapter three and we will get through it relatively quick because it's pretty short. So let me pray. We'll jump into this and we'll see, uh, see where God takes us, okay? Father, Lord, we love you. <clears throat> Lord, we just wanna thank you, God. It is very, very cold out today and it's gonna be colder this week, Lord, and we just thank you for a place where we can come and worship and we have heat and we have padded seats and we have a sound system so people can hear the word being spoken and we have talented musicians. God, we have so many blessings around us. I pray, Lord, that you just keep your hand on us this morning, God, as, as, as we worship and as we study. Pray that you bless us, Lord. We, we pray not just for our church. We pray for every church in our city. We pray for our other campuses and the churches in those cities. Father, we pray for the great nonprofits we get to work with, like Compassion International, that are doing uh, wonderful works all over the world, God, and we thank you for that. And Father, we pray, Lord, that everything we do today, as we, as, as, as we do use our mouths, as we sit in this room and we listen, God, I pray, Lord, that everything we do, that it honors you and that it brings us closer to you. We love you. We thank you. We praise you, God. Keep your hand on us, God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, here we go. It's a good chapter. James writes this. Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, able also to control the whole body. Now, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. And consider ships, though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue a world of unrighteousness is placed among our members. I highlighted this sentence, this next one. It stains the whole body and it sets the course of life on fire and it itself is set on fire by hell. Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly Poison. It's pretty hardcore right there. So the first half of this chapter is all about how we speak, how we use our tongue. And the first thing he starts off warning people about is he says, before we claim the title of teacher, we need to be really cautious about that because if we have influence over other people with our mouth, we will be judged by a stricter judgment. I find that really ironic in a time where one of our main buzzwords is influencer. That maybe we need to be very, very cautious before we throw around such titles because we will be held to a higher standard. Now, 
This is specifically talking about people in my position and not that I am more important than anyone in this room, but anyone who teaches people theology or leads them in a spiritual manner, they're going to be judged by a very, very strict standard by God because spiritually misleading people is a very dangerous thing to do according to the scripture. But listen, this does not let all of us off the hook. Any of you that have any kind of influence, so if you're a parent in this room, you're gonna be held into account by what you've taught your children. If you're an employer in this room, you're gonna be held into account by how you've led your staff and your team. If you are a friend that just has influence over other people, you're going to be held into account by what you say. So it's very, very important that we speak truth, that we speak love, that we, that we treat people with respect and dignity because our words are very, very weighty. And so what James is saying is, though the tongue is a very small muscle in your body, it is the most damaging thing that we have. It can do massive damage. So James uses the analogy, if you put the, a, a bit in the horse of a mouth, you can control this huge, powerful animal if you control the mouth. And he uses the example of a ship Though a ship is driven by fierce winds and it is this massive entity, it is just by a small rudder that the pilot controls the direction of the ship. The most pertinent example that I think he uses though is he talks about a forest fire. And again, about, it's about every year or two, there's a massive forest fire out in the West Coast and you know billions of dollars are lost in these fires. And I think it was the one this last year or the year before that was started because a small fire got out of control by people camping. So it is started by a little flame, and if, it's, if that little flame is not controlled, it does ridiculous amounts of damage if it is not tempered. This is referring to us cursing people. This is not if you, you know, stub your toe in the garage and you say a bad word, that's not good, but that's not what this is referring to. This is, this is actually you cursing at people, saying abusive things to people. Things like gossip, things like slander, this does damage far beyond the initial recipients of those words. There are some of us in this room that things that our parents said to us, if we do not have the help of the Lord, if we don't have the help of good people in our life and counselors or whatnot, that damage from those words will trickle generation to generation to generation. It affects a ton of people if we do not get a control of those things. This is the point that James is trying to make. And I should have wrote more about it. I highlighted it and I should have wrote more on here. I love what it says here. It's, it's just really, really interesting. It says, the tongue stains the whole body and sets the course of life on fire. How many people have you guys met, or maybe you've been one of these people, that their life is a complete dumpster fire mainly because of their mouth? I'm serious. There are people who have absolutely burned bridges, dug holes, they have gotten themselves to do serious problems because they just can't shut up. And that's why the Bible says be slow to speak because we do tremendous damage when our tongue is out of control. So our tongues that can easily be set on fire by hell, the Bible says, are evidence of either us having a relationship with God or having a lack of a relationship with God. So a thing, things like gossip, slander, backbiting, what Paul calls abusive language, Ephesians chapter five, these are things that should not come from the mouth of a Christian. Now, in that, in, in that same breath, I do wanna say this, they are at times gonna come out of your mouth. 
This week, I had two circumstances. One that I felt like I handled really, really, really well, and I left it and felt a little you know, attacked and, and not treated very well, but I felt like I handled it really, really well, and I was like, thank you, God. There was another situation later in the, in the week where I felt like I didn't handle it very well. So what we do in those circumstances, when we make those mistakes and our tongue gets out of control, we need to repent, not just to God. You may need to make a phone call and repent to a human as well and say, I am so sorry for what I said. And so we can get better at this, we can grow at this, but we have to want to get better at this. Here's the other thing. Though our tongue can be out of, out, out of control, we are not to, to be silent people, but controlled people. Not silent, but controlled. So we can do tremendous damage with our mouth, but if used in the correct manner, we can do tremendous building up with our mouth. So the tongue can be the most evil part. It can also be the most positive part of us. Uh, you men in the room, if you've never read The Five Love Languages, it's a short book. I know men are not always the best at, at reading things. But if you've never read that book, men, more than likely, you're a words of affirmation person. Most men just are. There's a lot of women who are words of affirmation people, which means that, yes, words can tear us down, but to the right people and the right words spoken, man, words can lift people up. It means a lot to them to hear something positive and encouraging. And, and so if words can do so much damage, in Proverbs, in, in Proverbs 30, 32, it basically says what your grandmother has been telling you your whole life. If you can't say anything nice, don't say anything. And so it says in Proverbs 30, if, if you can't say positive things, it says put a hand over your mouth, which, which leads us to believe the opposite too, that we are to, if we're going to speak, speak positive, encouraging things, uplifting things, spiritual things, things that build people up. And so here is the trick with the tongue. You can't control it. Only God can control the tongue. So the only way for the tongue to be tempered, the only way that we can use our tongue for good things and not destructive things, is we have to give God our heart and our minds. Now, how does that work? You would say, well, why wouldn't you just give God your tongue? Well, because everything flows from the heart. It is from an abundance of the heart that we say things. So you ever heard people say just wretched, awful things and they come up and they go, oh, that's not me. Actually, it is you. It is you. That is coming from somewhere. That doesn't mean that you're just an altogether evil person, but that means there is some kind of unchecked thing that is in our heart that we need to let the Lord deal with. That's why this is so important. We need to get in the habit of praying, oh Lord, search me. Find the, 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 the evil that is in me, forgive me of it, get rid of it in me. So we don't have those moments where things just kind of spring up. I don't know where that came from. I know exactly where it came from. It came from something in here. And so we need to make sure that our hearts are square with God and then what comes out of our mouths. So I couldn't find another picture, so I just took that original one, <laughs> flipped it upside down. This is abstract art. We talked about avant-garde, we talked about film noir. We're just going down that path a little bit today. So um, I have two full-time graphic designers on staff and one of them politely goes, oh, you just flipped the picture around. I said, yes, I did. It's art. It's actually quite creepy, isn't it? (laughs) 
With, <laughs> sorry, I'll get it together here. With the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in God's likeness. I, I highlighted verse 10. Blessing and cursing come from the same mouth, my brothers and sisters. These things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt water spring yield fresh water. So what, what, what James is saying is, as Christians, we can often become divided houses. Because sometimes we speak out of selfishness, sometimes we speak out of offense, sometimes we speak out of defensiveness or selfishness. Sometimes our, our words, we can be detracted from God and we can say, I love you, Jesus, and we can treat people hateful at the same time. And this is not the way it's supposed to be. James would say that is <laughs> sinfully inconsistent. It is sinfully, which means we have to ask God to forgive us when we say good things to God and terrible things to people. When we act out of malicious intent, when we say destructive things, these people are made in the likeness of God and God doesn't like it when we say hurtful things to people made in his image. Amen. He does not like that. So we are being spiritually inconsistent if we do this. And this goes back to something Jesus taught in the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew chapter six, Jesus said that, that, that no man can serve two masters. And what happens is when we are selfish with our tongue or vindictive with our tongue or revengeful with our tongue or whatever the case may be, we're trying to serve ourselves. So we cannot say we love Jesus more than everything and we serve Jesus and then do things that are serving ourselves. That is a house divided. That is us trying to serve two masters and we cannot do this. Again, we are going to fall to this, but when we fall to this, we ask God to forgive us. We make amends with the people that we may have treated poorly, even if that was their fault. Uh, again, earlier this week, someone talked to me in a way that was very disrespectful and wrong. And, and, and where I messed up is I returned evil with evil. And I shouldn't have gone that direction. I should have tempered my tongue. And so there are times when we even have to clean stuff up with people who, quite frankly, wronged us. And so sometimes we just have to humble ourselves and grow in this fashion. And so I love what Paul writes in Colossians. Paul writes this. He says, let your speech always be gracious and seasoned with salt. Let your words be, be, be good words. Let them be positive words. But the only way that we can speak positive things, the only way that we can have gracious words come out of us is I love what he says earlier in Colossians, we must have the word of God dwelling richly in us. This again goes back to that state of the heart. The way for good things to come out is we have to make sure good things are going in. And when our heart is full of the word of God, when we are full of the Holy Spirit of God, good things come out of us. So we have to consciously and intentionally ingest the word of God. Simply put, you need to read the Bible. People need to take this, they need to read it, they need to get this in their heart, get this in their mind, and when this is in their heart and their mind, it comes out even in what they say. It comes out in how they live, comes out in how they treat people, it comes out in our words. And then we will have what the Bible calls real wisdom. Last part. Who among you is wise and understanding? 
By his good conduct, he should show that his works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, I highlighted this word, demonic. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom from above is pure, peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without pretense. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. We're gonna go back because I love that phrase, cultivating peace. So James says, who among you is wise? Who among you has understanding? So back to chapter two, where we talked about faith and works. We as Christians are to, to do works with gentleness and with wisdom. So first we have, to, we have to define what is wisdom. What does it mean to understand? What does it mean to have wisdom? To have wisdom means to have knowledge, to have moral insight, we only get that through the word of God, and to have the gift from God to decipher what is, what is a good thing to do and what is a bad thing to do. So we are to know what is right and wrong, to, to have a moral compass, if you will, and then to have the strength and the ability to, to say this is a good thing, this is not a good thing. And we demonstrate wisdom by doing good things with humility. To do works, both for ourselves and for others, right, with humility. That is wisdom. Now, what in the heck is humility? Because no one knows in America in 2022. To be humble doesn't mean that we are doormats for people. And, and quite frankly, guys, I hate it when Christians say things like this. Well, I know I'm supposed to be humble, but I'm not going to be someone's doormat. God's not asking you to be anyone's doormat. To be humble doesn't mean that we are constantly trampled on. What it means to be humble is that we are able to control and overpower the natural tendency to be arrogant when people treat us like doormats. You cannot help if people are going to treat you poorly or not, but you can help how you respond to that. So true humility is that, man, people may treat me terrible, but I have the ability to push down my natural human tendency to want to return evil for evil, to not be arrogant, to not be selfish. And the only way we can do that is through the power of the Holy Spirit. Humility is also a proper estimation of who you are. This is very, very important because again, we really mess this up in American culture right now. Humility is not self-deprecation. It's not making us look terrible. In fact, I think that's offensive to God. If God has given you talents and abilities and skills and you're like, oh, I'm not good at anything, God's like, yeah, you are. I gave you these talents, these abilities. You are good at certain things. So it is not arrogant of us to, to acknowledge that we have strengths. Some of you, you know, if you walk up to an Olympic gold medalist and you're like, you're really good at gymnastics, they're like, no, I'm not. You are, you have a gold medal around your neck. Like, you're the best in the world. You're, you're very good at it. And it's okay to say that, that you're good at it. It's okay, that's, that's okay. That's still humility. The, the thing about this, though, is 
in American society, we have this ridiculous image of who we are. We have this very self-inflated, ridiculous kind of movie star image that all of us have of ourselves. We've had, you know, the, the big thing right now, and if you've done this, I'm not trying to make fun of you, this new Avatar app, right, where it makes everyone look like superheroes. So instead of humans actually doing something heroic, we just spend a lot of time making ourselves look like heroes. So a lot of 40-year-old moms, let me tell you, instead of spending all that time making yourself look like a hero, spend time with your children. That's quite heroic. Do that, right? So we live in a society today where, like, I was talking about this with a friend the other day. No one is wrong, everyone is right, everyone is smart, everyone is beautiful, everyone's a hero. And when everyone is, no one actually is. But this is a society we live in. We are in a society today where, where we think heroism is like just going out and I work and pay my bills. And I'm like, well, welcome to humanity. We all do that, <laughs> right? Actually do something extraordinary. Go feed someone, go clothe someone, go visit someone in jail, get involved in some kind of nonprofit or actually do something heroic for humanity. But we all think that we are movie stars and you are all minor characters in this film about Corey. And that is not the truth. We, true humility is a proper estimation of who we are. When we do not have a proper estimation of who we are, we fall into what the Bible would call false wisdom, the wisdom of the world. And so what happens is, if we are envious, that's America, if we are selfishly just kind of searching for what we want, that kind of wisdom, James says, is earthly, which means it's not heavenly. It is unspiritual, means it's not spiritual, and demonic. Something we don't talk about enough in church is the fact that there are only two spiritual forces in the world, God and the devil. And if it's not influenced by God, it is influenced by the devil. And when there is a whole society of envy and selfish ambition, it's demonic. I'll say it. You live in a nation. We keep saying we're one nation under God. That is the biggest load of crap you will ever lie to yourself about. We are a very demonic nation. We're a nation driven by demonic principles of envy and selfish ambition. And that summarizes who we are as a society because we have fallen prey as a people to jealousy, to self-promotion. And unfortunately, that has crept its way right into the church. That's why we have these celebrity pastors that, that end up, you know, you find out they end up that they're having sex with their secretary or they're stealing money from the church or they're doing all kinds of crazy stuff. Or even on a lighter note, they, they just don't ever teach the gospel. They're just up there getting rich and famous off you guys. Because that same worldly, I would say demonic culture has crept its way right into the American church. But because no one reads the Bible, no one knows any better. And it continues on. And so I, I love what verse 16 says. Man, I feel like James just hits a home run with verse 16. He says, where there, is, where there is envy, where there is the reckless pursuit of self. This is the culture you live in, the reckless pursuit of self. The reckless pursuit of self. Listen, I'm not trying to be mean this morning. We are giving certain pharmaceuticals to children because they're confused on who they are that is literally breaking down the, 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 the density of their bones. Do you know this? Do you know this? I hope you know this. 
that there, there, are, there are universities and there are medical schools like Vanderbilt who are giving children certain medications that are breaking down the density of their bones. We're being so reckless at the pursuit of self that we are literally destroying children. That's what we are doing, guys. That's what we are doing. And, and, and in this, James says, when there is reckless pursuit of self, when there is envy, there is disorder in every kind of evil practice. This is what you live in. This is what you live in. And in the United States, we mask this with love. It's all in the name of love. It's all in the name of love. Love is love. Love is free. There are no boundaries to love. And it is this twisted, bastardized, perverse version of love. And this, this, this wisdom of the world, which is not wisdom at all, really destroys the idea of, of mutual concern for others. It is a very limited amount of love. It is not loving your children if they say, Dad, I wanna eat donuts four times a day. It is not love if I do that. They're gonna be obese. They're gonna get diabetes. They're gonna die. That's not love. That is a very bastardized, twisted version of love. Do you know what that really is? That's really me loving myself because I don't want someone to not like me. And it's all backwards. It is not love. It is not mutual concern. It's like the same people. And listen, man, I am not political and I don't consider myself you know, right wing or left wing or any of those things. But these certain people who say love is love. Well, you know, hey, I'm a conservative Christian that voted for Donald Trump. Well, you're a bigoted, small-minded idiot, right? So it's this love. And, and I'm gonna go ahead and tell you, I didn't vote for Donald Trump. I'm not talking about myself. But what I'm saying is this. It is love measured by, I will love you if you think like I think. And this, hold on, hold on, hold on. Because again, people take this way out of context. Jesus said that's not the kind of love that we do. That's the love that the pagans do. Even the pagans will, work, will love people that think like them. Christians are to love people. We are to pray for those that persecute us, love those that hate us. That means those of us in this room that claim to be Christians, we are to love absolutely every single human we come in contact, even if we adamantly disagree with everything they think. You hear that, Christians? Well, they don't think like me. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The Roman soldiers that nailed Christ to the cross didn't think like him, but he said, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. And he loved them, and he came to die for them, quite frankly. But the twisted wisdom of the world, when we follow that, hurt ensues, pain ensues, chaos ensues. So we must have godly wisdom, true wisdom, which is first pure. It is peace-loving. That is not necessarily talking about war. That is talking about people who genuinely want to build bridges, not burn them down. People who are not constantly looking to pick a fight, Christians. People who are constantly trying to divide, who are trying to, to, to cause dissension. That's not what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be gentle, compliant. That doesn't mean that we just roll over on everything that, that, that maybe the government or our boss tells us. What that means is that we're to be agreeable people that if all possible were to live in peace with everyone, the Bible says, full of mercy, that were to produce good fruits, unwavering, without pretense. What, what this means is we need to ask ourselves, are we living by the Bible? That's how we're made pure. Are we promoting peace? Are we considerate people? Are we, are we humble enough to be willing to submit ourselves and to learn from others? Are we merciful? Are we demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, 
kindness, gentleness, self-control. Are we committed to the truth? Are we sincere people? Are Are we real people? Are we sincere in how we live? And so when we have a relationship with Jesus, we learn to walk in true wisdom, which leads us, I love how James says this, to be people who cultivate peace, to where because Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and if we have Jesus in us, where we go, it cultivates peace. And when we cultivate peace, it says that we produce the fruit of righteousness, which means not only do I live more like God wants me to live, other people start to live more like God wants them to live because we are introducing God to atmospheres, to places, to people. And so it's only when we give everything, even our words, that we can live in wisdom, we can live in peace, and we can live in righteousness. So it all starts with the tongue. It even says our relationship with Jesus starts when we confess with our mouth that he is Lord. It all starts with the tongue. Ironically, the Bible calls the tongue the most unruly member of the entire entire body. That's where it all begins. If you don't hear anything else I say today, you need to hear this though. Our words carry tremendous weight. What you say matters. What you type matters. What you put out there for the world to see, it matters. It matters, it matters. If we lead or teach in any way, which quite frankly, all of you will lead and teach in some way. All of you will influence other people in some way. And when we have influence over others, the Bible says we'll be held to a stricter judgment. That's not only by God, you'll be held to a stricter judgment by people. If we put ourselves in the position to influence, we better make sure that our hearts are in the right place because we're gonna be held into account for that influence. Which means we need to make sure that God takes control of our tongue. But for God to take control of our tongue, we have to first give him our heart because that's where it all comes from. We have to fill our hearts up with the word of God. We have to let it dwell richly in us, the Bible says. We need to make sure that that if there's any sin in our heart, that we ask God to search us and forgive us and remove any evil that would be there. And when we do that, we don't have to always worry about awful stuff coming up because we have planted a good seed. We have planted good things in here. And so good things will come out of us. Doesn't mean that we're gonna be perfect. Sometimes you're gonna lose your cool. Sometimes you're gonna make a mistake. But we repent for that, we correct that, and we learn from that. Now, switching gears a little bit, you and I have to be at peace with who God is. This is important. This is very important. So how we live matters. How we live matters. Chapter two, faith without works is dead. How we live live matters. Chapter three, how we speak matters. So the only way we can conduct ourselves in a manner that honors God is we must be at peace with who God is. We talk about the word, maybe the biggest word that defines this generation is identity. And the problem right now is we have a whole generation that finds its identity in absolutely everything except for the one thing they are actually made in the image of. We find it in our nationality, we find it in our skin color, we find it in our gender, we find it in our sexuality, we find it in our bank account, we find it in sports, we find it in everything 
But until we find our identity, until the creation has an understanding of who the creator is, we will never be able to conduct ourselves the way that we are supposed to. So one, I have to know that I'm made in the image of God. Two, I have to have a desire to know more about who he is. I wanna know who I'm made in the image of. We need to strive to learn more about God, to, to follow him more closely. And we have to be at peace knowing that God made me in his image. He made you in his image. And if he did that, that means he must love us. We need to be able to lay our heads down at night regardless of what's going on in the news. Come hell or high water, I know that I'm gonna be okay because God is in control. I'm at peace with this. You need to be at peace with who God is. Now this is important because you can only be at peace with yourself when you are at peace with your creator. We can only find contentment and be at peace when we know who God is. So again, we have to build a relationship with him. I say it every week, but it's worth saying every week. You and I need to pray. We need to talk to God. We need to read the word of God. We need to obey the word of God. When we do that, that makes us humble people. Because I don't know if you guys know this. You know this book isn't about us. This book is about the creator God. We, we happen to be a part of the story, but it's about him. This is a book about our creator and we get to know more about him. And when we read it, it humbles us and it balances us and it keeps us from becoming people who fall to the world's way of wisdom. I put wisdom in quotations because it's not wise at all. It's broken, it's empty, it's messed up. And it is only by the guidance of this book and a relationship with Jesus that we can avoid the pitfalls of the world. So we have to be at peace with who God is. When we're at peace with who God is, we're at peace with who we are. And when we're at peace with who we are, we can be at peace with other people. Let me tell you what that means. We live in a world right now to where we are, we are, we are all so consumed with impressing other people. We get so hyper offensive when people say things to us. We, we, get, we get offended so much, we, we get defensive. We're constantly worried about the, about the affirmation of others. But here's the thing, not that you shouldn't live in a way that is, that is, that is a, a good example to people around you, not that you shouldn't care about what people think of you to some extent. We should live in a certain way to where people see us and they see us as a positive person, someone of light, someone that represents God. Well, yes, that's all fine and good. But when I know who I am in God, when I'm at peace with my identity in God, when I know that even if all of you criticize and hate my guts, that if I am right with God, I'm gonna be okay. If I have that kind of confidence, I don't have to worry about impressing you all the time. I don't, listen, I don't even have to worry about defending myself all the time. When people send awful critical emails, they've been to church one time and, hey, you're doing it all wrong. Did you know how dumb you are? And things like that. That I don't have to get super offended because I know who I am in the Lord. And this, this is like you as well. That when people say things to you or cut you down or whatever, you don't have to get so offended by that because I know who I am in God. You should know that your value does not come from what other people think of you. It comes from your creator. And when we understand this, we can be people of peace. 
We can cultivate peace that quite frankly is a great example of Jesus in the world and cultivating peace will eventually yield righteousness, not only in yourself, but eventually it will yield righteousness in the people around you. Is that easy? My God, no. Heck no, it's not easy. Is it easy to, 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 to take critical things and to, to have hurtful things be said to you? You wanna know what the hardest part about my job is? And I'm not trying to like be a baby or anything up here. I do not have the luxury of defending myself. I don't have that luxury. Because people will say awful things to me and if I get online and I'm like, you're wrong about that, but then people are like, oh, how dare he? And people say, you know, it just, I, I, I don't have the luxury of doing that. So I've had to learn over 13 years, you just kind of have to take it sometimes. You know what else I've learned over the years? Let me tell you a little trick, especially if you're in the business world or something. You'll get those emails that are just like super, you know, shallow and, and critical and one-sided and judgmental and all that stuff. I've, 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 I've gotten really good at writing the draft. You guys know what I'm talking about? You just get that fleshly email, you write it all out, and then you delete it, and then you send the Christian email. I've learned that. I've gotten really good at that over the years. Someone will, someone will send the email and I'm, this is what I think, blah, 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 and then you just delete it. And then the Lord goes, hey, why don't you write this instead? And I'm like, That's, that sounds much better, Jesus, thank you. Here's the thing. It is not easy to control the tongue. It is not easy to cultivate peace. It is not easy to be the light of the world. But this is what Jesus has called you to be. <laughs> and it is only by the power of Jesus Christ himself that we can be what he wants us to be. It must be complete and utter dependency on him. God, take control of my heart, take control of my mind, and just by, by, by default, he will take control of your tongue. It all starts with the tongue. You know what it might start with today? It might start with you and I being humble when we take communion today and say, God, search me, search me to use your mouth. Let me give you another good piece of advice. I wanna encourage you, when you pray, if you're by yourself, get in the habit of actually speaking. There is something about speaking that is powerful. That's why the Lord spoke the universe into existence. There's something about hearing those words. There's actually something liberating and freeing about hearing those words come out of your mouth. Maybe it starts today with, with, with some of us in this room getting our communion and going, God, search my heart. I've said some things that I shouldn't have said, done some things I shouldn't have done, okay? Would you bow your heads with me, please? If you are in this room, and maybe, and, and please don't take this offensively, maybe you're not at peace with who God is. Maybe you, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. If you have any questions today, up here on my right, your left, Pastor Mike is up here. Any questions you might have, we are not offended by that. He would love to talk with you, okay? We also have men and women on both sides of the stage. If you need prayer for anything in your life, anything. This time of year is not always easy for everyone. If you need prayer, if, 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 if anything, for job, for family, for finances, for health, doesn't matter. Let someone pray with you. The last thing is we have communion all the way around this room, wherever you see a lamp on a table. And if you're sitting in the middle, there's some on these posts. So you, you don't have to fight the lines to get communion. Communion is wine and bread that represents the body and blood of Jesus Christ. We do this every single weekend together. Everyone is welcome to take the communion that reminds us of what God has done for us 
what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Everyone is welcome to take that as long as they ask Jesus to forgive them of their sins. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I also wanna encourage you with this. And I know that not everyone needs to take communion all the time because maybe your heart's not in the proper place. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I'm gonna say this with, with, with a lot of love. Please don't just rush out of this room. We're ending about five, 10 minutes early. Take a couple of moments, grab communion, spend some time talking to the Lord. Spend some time praying. This is the most important thing you will do today, I promise you. And, and sometimes there's a tendency for people to kind of rush out. Take a couple of minutes. Take a couple of minutes. Talk to the Lord, okay? Let me pray for you. Father God, we love you. Lord, I love this church. I love this church in a way that I, I, I don't even know how to verbalize, God. Um, I pray, God, that you just keep your hand on us, Lord. Sometimes it is so easy to get distracted or to get upset or selfish or offended or whatever the case may be, and we can sometimes lose control of what we say. So God, if we have done that, forgive us. Lord, help us do better. I pray, God, that we can all give our hearts to you and our minds to you, Lord, so that by default, our words will be what you, what, what you want them to be. God, I pray that you protect us, keep us safe, Lord. Keep your hand on all my brothers and sisters and friends in this room, Lord. And God, I just uh, I pray that we can go honor you this week in how we conduct ourselves. Lord, we love you. We thank you, God. And we pray all these things in your son's name, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. You're welcome to help yourself. Thank you so much.